Moksha asks, how do you move on with the flow of love in your life when you can't stop thinking about unsolvable loss? Not being able to see my nephew for two years, for example, and the, and the other example in your life as well, the loss of a very dear uh, friend and partner. The first thing that occurs to me to say is for us to really begin to remind ourselves until we begin to know it and feel it that the love I have for you is not your love. It's love that you have offered me the opportunity to experience within and from myself. Love is an action. Love sometimes is not a choice. Sometimes we just fall into someone and all of the uh, parameters are just right that love is what occurs. And then we find ourselves loving someone. Oftentimes, though, that is a mistake of what's actually happening. Oftentimes, uh, a large part of that falling in love phenomenon is nature making sure there are more of us. It's, it's making sure that procreation occurs. And, you know, I, I used to have relationships that lasted 18 months. And they were like fantastic for a while, and then they got a little less fantastic, and then they were horrible because those kinds of relationships, I got with someone who, on one level, was telling me, I will fix you. And I, on the other, on, from the other side, desperately wanting to be fixed, agreed, yes, and I will fix you too. And of course, 18 months is about the limit for that kind of a relationship. There's no reality there. So it's like we bond with each other so completely that when you're away from me, it hurts. At first, we both, we walk together and, and we're facing each other. And it's like fantastic. I feel all the chemistry of that. And I want more of it and I never want it to stop. And those of us who have fallen into those sorts of experiences and allowed ourselves to be fulfilled by the other person, then when that fulfillment begins to change, it feels like life and death. It doesn't mean that the falling in love experience is wrong or uh, not true. It means that it is, it oftentimes is accompanied by the experience of having fulfillment on some level that we're not able to find ourselves. And one of the biggest payoffs to spiritual practice, sadhana, the Sanskrit word for it, anything that is allowing me to become more of the truth of what I am, any practice, one of the great payoffs to it and one of the great it's not really a goal, but one of the intentions that we have in, in sadhana, in meditation, and in all the practices associated with it, like compassion and love and loving kindness and nonviolence, is the experience of fulfillment itself. Because in that de-excited state, when individuality has disappeared and I'm resting in that place of pure being, that ocean of bliss, that's the nature of consciousness itself, is bliss itself. 
and bliss itself is experienced by individuality as fulfillment. I am here, I feel pleasantly happy, not complacent, but satisfied in a way that doesn't cause me to not want to move forward, where I just feel okay knowing that there's nothing you can offer me that will increase my fulfillment. You can offer me something that will trigger my experience of joy, but the bliss and fulfillment that I have is here, and it cannot be changed by you, either added to nor taken away from. And this is what we really want to look for, because when we love from this place, it's a choice. And it is an offering to the other rather than a taking from the other. When I am approaching a relationship with a small child or with a romantic partner or with a sibling or with a parent or with a child, when I am approaching that relationship from a place of fulfillment, then it is a gift to me that this other person is offering me an opportunity to love, either because it's very easy for me to love them or because they're there and I have to love them no matter what, so I might as well get about the business of that. I'm committed to having a family. I better learn how to love my children in a way that is not dependent upon their behavior unconditionally. Now, when people leave us, either through attrition or through death or through circumstances keeping them from being near us, keeping, them, keeping us from being able to find them in the physical world, that doesn't take away my love. It takes away the immediate opportunity to love that person in a way that reflects back on me. And to the extent that I need that reflection back on me, to that extent I am experiencing myself as less than fulfilled. So it's an indication of, oh, here's where the work is. Because if I am fulfillment itself, and someone passes out of my life, my love for them does not change. It perhaps becomes even easier because I no longer have to negotiate with them to love them the right way for them. This does not mean I will not have an experience of grief. Of course I will. It's a loss. But it is not a loss of the love that is mine. This person stuck around long enough for me to allow myself to love them and for them to allow themselves to love me, whether it was for an instant, in an instant, or whether it took 20 years to build that experience of love with this person. But it's not their love that I experience, it's my love that I experience flowing forth from my experience of fulfillment, the truth of what I am. I can see evidence of your love for me I can see it in your eyes, I can see it in your behavior, I can see it in your willingness to surrender preferences in order to spend time with me, 
but I can't really feel the flow of love to me from you. What I can feel absolutely is the flow of love from me to you. The flow of fulfillment here offering itself to the uh, experience or possibility of experience of fulfillment over there. And when both of us are doing that, then then it, it, the sky is the limit as to where we can go with that. When we get involved in the story of how we lost this opportunity to locate and love in the physical realm, then we suffer. And then we find it hard to move on because it's just not fair. It's just not right. This shouldn't be happening. You know, how many times do we hear, he was too young. He was one of the good ones. My life is ruined. I'll never be happy again because... That's getting engaged in the story of it. And the result of getting engaged in the story of it is that we are caused to suffer. And suffering has no answer in the relative world. There is no answer for suffering. That experience, as you say in your question, it's an unsolvable loss. The death of my friend is an unsolvable loss. That cannot be changed. That is now an aspect of my existence. And to the extent I stay in suffering about that, and ruining the fact that it occurred and the how and the why of how it occurred and when it occurred and why it occurred and all of that. To the extent that I stay in that suffering, I can't move because I'm, I'm, I, I, I need it to change and it won't. What changes it is shifting my paradigm so that I stop looking at it through the eyes of suffering and comparison the relative world eyes that I'm looking through, there's no way that this equation can be solved. The eyes of spirit that we develop every time we meditate, these eyes that are able to take in subtle experience and ever more subtle experiences, we were talking about Patrick, through those eyes, I can see the world as a, as a playground. Well, how does death occur in a playground, I expand my sample size to include before I came into this body and after I dropped this body, and likewise for my friend, for my lover, for my child, for my parent, to see that, and this might be all made up on my part, I don't feel that it is, but expand my sample size enough to see that you and I made an agreement before we came into these bodies to have an experience together while we're in these bodies to be able to discuss and laugh about and cry about after we drop these bodies. Although laughter and tears probably are dependent upon having a nervous system, so I'm not sure about that. But the experience of we did that and we both got to grow through that and your growth requires you to stick around longer than me, or vice versa. And it was more challenging for you because I got to drop a body and find out immediately the freedom 
that occurs when I no longer am constrained by this nervous system. You had to work through all of these challenges while in a nervous system, the experience of which is telling you it's not okay. The experience of bliss, the experience of true being, capital B, is that it's all okay. And the experience of the ego, the eyes of the ego, it's not okay. Now to begin to change that paradigm does not mean that the grief will go away. It does imply that the grief will be more readily available for me to allow to flow through me as now an aspect of my life. I grieve the loss of my loved ones. And it may to some degree I that grief becomes less and less as I move forward, but to an even greater degree, when I look at it from this perspective, my consciousness expands in such a way that the grief takes up less room in my consciousness. So that now, rather than being this place of sorrow that I run into every time I start to enjoy myself, it becomes the basis for the true joy of living that occurs when we know that grief is a part of this thing. We know that death is an aspect of this thing and that none of us have a guarantee of getting through the day. And now you and I get to enjoy this moment? Are you kidding me? We're both still alive to enjoy this? This might be the last time we spend with each other? Oh my God. Let's have it fully. Let's love fully. Let's be with each other fully. Death and sorrow and loss are absolutely essential for me to get what this whole thing is about. I'm starting to get strident because I, was, I spent hours yesterday scanning uh, negatives and uh, then working on photographs of the last lunch my friend Bird and I had with uh, our the third wheel in our third wheel, three-wheeled cart. And the meaning of that last lunch together is now so much greater than it was when we were having lunch. I mean, they were good burritos, but now they're like, oh my God, they're, they're, they're miraculous burritos. And the burritos are just an excuse to come together and have the experience that we had. That is evidenced in the photographs that I took. And I look at those photographs and, yes, there's a, a, a bit of grief there, but what I see, because I insist on looking through the eyes of spirit, what I see is love rather than loss. Because love is so much more powerful than loss. And when I insist on letting go of the need to stare at the loss and the suffering that I engage in with that loss on account of that loss and ask myself, well, how can I allow love even with this? That's the expansion of consciousness. I don't need to have an answer, but I become willing to ask the question. 
and I become willing to look for evidence of the possibility of what I'm saying in my moment-to-moment, day-to-day existence, in the eyes of my friends, in the eyes of strangers, in the eyes of of infants and, and babies. You had the opportunity to love someone absolutely and fully, and that someone showered you with love absolutely and fully. And that is experienced as a loss when that is no longer available. But what a gift to have had it at all. What a gift to be shown the amount of love that is available within this spirit having the nervous system experience. Now, what is that love for? That's the question I ask. Where is it meant to be? Where is it going to be useful? Where is there a place that I can allow myself to have this level of love and commitment and forward movement and freedom in this world? Where is that place? What, is, what am I doing in that place? Great question to ask. How do you do this loving in spite of or in addition to whatever grief there is? great question to ask. But if I walk out my my door, I might see a tree that looks a little more friendly than it did before, and I might go over and touch it and say, hello, tree. I, I might see a person walking by I've never said hi to and look at them with a smile, and they actually look back at me, and we greet each other. You know, I might see someone who I know or I imagine doesn't like me, And instead of going into the story of what bastards they are or what bastard I am that I caused that to happen, I can say, what would love do here? It might imagine a compassion great enough to encompass even me, even this person, now in this moment. And we get here, instead of waiting to solve that unsolvable equation before we give ourselves permission to be free and present and alive and loving. Those are our options. Wait until this unsolvable problem is solved or see what happens when we get engaged and again and again and again and again get engaged and again get engaged with life, with the idea of love being possible and available through me at every moment. Today I will take a moment to imagine an experience of life and of love and of happiness that is great enough to encompass even my sorrow, even those things and people I have lost, even these equations, problems, challenges in my life that have no solution. And I will step into the day as if what I do matters. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Embracing Bliss. I started this podcast and the book it's based on to offer a daily reminder to myself as well as to you that we have the freedom to choose happiness. And if ever we needed happiness and freedom to choose in this world, now would be that time. 
So please do share it with someone you love, send it to a friend, and also please stay in touch. Links for Instagram, uh, the book Embracing Bliss, and to sign up for my newsletter can all be found in the show notes. Until next time, have a great day.